I'll be happy when I get this deal. I'll be happy when my athlete wins the Olympic medal. I'll be happy when we get this entertainment project. And it was one day in the office when my one of my employees turned to me and she said, you realize you always say that, right? And you're never happy. And it was like the ton of bricks. I was like, oh my stars. She was so right. I was living my whole existence of the next I'll be happy when. Welcome to Playmakers. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, 15-year NFL and NBA business exec and best-selling author of The Power of Playing Offense. In my journey, I have discovered that there are two types of people in this world. The difference between elite performers and the rest of the pack, or what I like to call those that play offense versus those that play defense. Defense always on their heels, offense on our toes. Defense playing not to lose, offense playing to win. Defense, the market dictates the terms. Offense, we operate on our terms. Playing with purpose, playing with passion, and taking control of our future. So now, the question is, how do you want to play? And here on the Playmakers Podcast, we play offense 10 out of 10 times. As we ramp up toward today's episode, pull out your notepad so you can capture all the action so we can make plays and level up together. Playmakers, it's about that time to welcome Sue Izzo into the conversation. Sue is highly known as the former female Jerry Maguire, as she owned a sports management agency for 17 years, representing Olympic athletes, X Games gold medalists, world champion surfers, SB winners, and TV personalities. She has also been an executive producer of entertainment properties for ESPN, ABC, Apple TV, and NBC. Now, stepping into the space of business growth coach, focused on marketing and brand positioning to allow for more freedom in the business world. I hope you're as fired up for the conversation with Sue as I am. And as a reminder, many of the key takeaways of today's show can be found in the show notes on playmakerspod.com. With that, let's welcome Sue Izzo into the Playmakers Podcast. Sue, welcome to Playmakers. How are we doing? I'm doing so well. Thank you for having me. Of course. It is our pleasure and honor to have you on. And I got to start here because from the first time I met you, I actually think when we were introduced by a mutual friend, Ryan Foland, he said, dude, you got to meet my friend, Sue. She is the female Jerry Maguire. And I don't even know what he said after that. I was like, all right, bro, count me in, link us up on email. And that was what feels like a year plus ago. But needless to say, A, for all playmakers out there, we want to know, what does that mean? When you say the female Jerry Maguire, give us that journey. 
Oh, my stars. What a journey. Well, I uh, I was showing uh, professional athletes the money for 17 years. So, uh, yeah, I started my sports management business uh, in my fifth grade bedroom at my parents' house at the age of 25 with absolutely zero training uh, in how to be a sport in how to be a sports agent. Um, my, I worked at Burton Snowboards when I was in undergrad and start, I was exposed to sports marketing at that time and um, fell in a job uh, underneath two attorneys. One of them was a sports agent. And uh, within six months of working with him, he was like, you should be a sports agent. And I was like, okay. So I went to uh, open <laughs> no up a role. Yeah, no big deal. I just opened up my Rolodex of snowboarders I knew. Uh, back in 1999. And I called one snowboarder. He didn't pick up the phone. I called a second snowboarder. He answered. And I said, hey, can I try to get you deals? And following my gut, I um, just kind of started that way and started representing professional snowboarders first, then evolved into professional surfers um, and built a sports management company um, representing the world's best uh, X Games athletes, Winter Olympians, ultimately television hosts, building a slew of businesses with them as well. So, yeah, I was the female Jerry Maguire for 20 years. That is so cool. And I love how you kicked us off about show me the money. If, if By the way, if you're listening to this and if show me the money, if that line if you're foggy on it or if it doesn't register, please hit pause, go watch Jerry Maguire and then come back and Paul and Sue will be right here. So, uh, all right. So here's the deal though. All right. So you had this, I do want to talk a little bit about the journey since, and of sure. course the exit and, and there's all these breadcrumbs along the way, as we say that now we can see all the clues, but also as I look around on your site, I see the accidental female Jerry Maguire. So what's the, maybe I'm just not understanding. What's the accident? Sure. Oh my gosh. It was such an accident. So, you know, I come from a big Italian family and my options were, you know, either you get married and you're a stay at home mom, um, you become a school teacher or you're a secretary. So I was, you know, a total deadhead in high school and I decided to go to Vermont to, you know, go follow the Grateful Dead and be a hippie. And uh, oh my, my mother, gosh. yeah, my mother told me to be a school teacher. And so I failed phonics twice. Like I could not teach a child how to spell or speak for the life of me. Um, but what happened was I did get a job. I dated a, a snowboarder and he it's actually an interesting, funny story. Um, I fell in love with a snowboarder. I didn't know what snowboarding was. It was my freshman year of college. And um, he was sponsored by Burton Snowboards. And when we broke up a year later, um, I kind of was like, how do I get back at him? I mean, this was the Italian woman in me. <laughs> Italian woman scorn. The revenge story. Yeah, of it, uh, yeah, yes. it, it really was. And I was like, I'm going to get a job at, at Burton Snowboards. And so um, – that's where I got exposed to uh, sports marketing. And in that was kind of like, wow, you know, I, I kind of get to like use my sales experience and marketing experience. And I started seeing all these different things that I loved, like PR and being able to put them all together was like, oh, so this is sports management. This is kind of what a sports agent does. So it was not designed by any stretch. It was it was completely accidental um, in that way. And um, yeah, it was it was kind of like the journey of of following my gut more than anything because I didn't really know I didn't know what sports management was. Um, it it wasn't until I was 
working with a lawyer who happened to be a sports agent, um, who he represented one client. And he was kind of the one that was like, hey, like all these things you're interested in, this is what sports management is. And this is what you you should do, um, because I I'd never been exposed to you know a sports agent before that. Even in the early days at Burton, working at Burton Snowboard, there were there weren't sports agents that were de- representing athletes at that point. So it was all very new to me. Um, the beautiful part, like I said, was that I was able to really feed all the my passions um, by creating this this job for myself. So let's double click on that. You talk about passions and every playmaker out there, of course, we want to live in a life of passion, whether it be in our business world, our our personal world. And we're going to get very holistic and we're going to talk whole person on this uh, conversation for sure. But if I listen in, whether I'm a sports fan or not, and we just happen to be the Playmakers podcast, we happen to have a lot of sports fans in our audience, of course. So the majority of people are going to listen into this, just like I've been asked the question of why do you not work in sports anymore? What happened? Like, why are you no longer the female Jerry Maguire, at least from a formal day to day perspective? I know that's still a part of the brand and the story. And now you cultivate and I know how you help others. But what's that exit look like or what what happened that you're no longer still in that game that you just described to us? Sure. I mean, you know, I gosh, I couldn't have dreamt up this career, nor could I have come up with the nightmares that I had to go through. So what happened for me after 17 years, three Olympics, I remember in about 2000, I I sold the majority stake of my company in 2015. A couple of years before that, I started seeing the writing on the wall in the action sports industry of deals drying up. So I you know, I was able to see like, I always staggered my, my client base where there was like my A, A guys, B guys and C team. Right. And, um, what was happening was that, you know, for a long time I was able to get deals for all three levels, but then I started seeing the deals really drying up and the opportunities drying up. Um, so that was one part of it, seeing the industry, like really starting to shrink. The other part of it was, my life. So I'm an all in type of girl. And what happened was I, my happiness and my self-worth and all of that was so tied into the outcomes of my athletes and my success that I really didn't know what made me happy. Um, and so I started having this like realization of like, wait a minute, like, where am I in all this? And so, you know, When you when you're a sports agent, that's one big, massive job. But when you're a sports agent and you own the company and you have a team of people working underneath you. Right. So you're not only working in the business, you're working on the business. So it's like two full full time jobs. And what was happening was that, like, I just was like, I kind of was like, where's my life in this? And, you know, you're traveling year round, you're managing people year round, you're growing a business year round. And it was just got to the point where there was no pause and there was no room to breathe. And that was, you know, my own doing, nobody else was, was forcing me to do that. That was, that was, that was me. Um, and so I realized that it was getting to be a point in my life where I'm like, I need a minute to, to breathe. The ironic part of it was that I, you know, saw an opportunity, Octagon, um, which is, as you know, a large agency, massive agency, massive yep. agency um, 
Uh, Peter Carlisle, who is Michael Phelps's agent, is a longtime friend of mine. You know, I had an opportunity to sell to them back in 2009, but my ego got in the way and I didn't do the deal, didn't do the deal. Another opportunity came up, you know, in 2015, they were looking to grow their surf program. I had a good, good surf program. So everything kind of just aligned. And the ironic part of all of it was like, okay, great. I'm going to exit. I'm going to still keep two athletes. And in my mind, I'm like, I need to slow down. I need to enjoy my life more, all of that. Well, my higher power had an alternative plan and really wanted to (laughs) laugh at me because not even five months after I signed the deal and was like, oh, I'm going to slow down. I got diagnosed with cancer. And so it was a real like forced, um, like pause more so than I was even planning on. So it was really interesting that like it all kind of aligned. I'm really grateful that like I had for whatever reason, you know, I sold the company when I did because I really needed to shift, shift my focus to healing at that point. Wow. So, well, for one, on behalf of everybody listening in, thank you for being so open. And of course, you know, our, our first thought is uh, just to make sure. And I know now years yes. later that, of course, there's a happy ending to the story. So otherwise we would just drill in on uh, just what that recovery uh, from cancer was like, because there's so many that have uh, either battled it or had it in their family. I mean, it's just one of those vicious things that's all around us. Of course. Before yeah. before you hit that chapter, though, you had these what I'll call awakening moments, these kind of, um, you know, these light bulb pieces. As I heard you talk about the tension, I felt it in the story. I felt the lack of happiness. Maybe outer success didn't lead to inner significance, if you will. Did you realize all of that on your own? Did you have other people that were coaching you, mentoring you? Because there may be somebody listening in. There's probably many people listening in that you look at their LinkedIn profile and they're kicking butt. But then you look on the inside and they ain't feeling so great. So what perspective would you have if somebody's in that scenario like you were? Yeah, yeah. I, You know, it's the number one thing. It was the I'll be happy when comment, right? I'll be happy when when I assign my first client. I'll be happy when I get this deal. I'll be happy when my athlete wins the Olympic medal. I'll be happy when we get this entertainment project. And it was one day in the office when my one of my employees turned to me And she said, you realize you always say that, right? And you're never happy. And it was like the ton of bricks, just like, like, I was like, oh my stars. Like she was so right. I was living my whole existence of the next I'll be happy when. I never stopped and stayed an extra day in all the places I've traveled. And I don't know how many countries I've been to. I never could appreciate any one success, no matter how many I'll be happy when moments I accomplished, I was always considering myself a failure every single day. I couldn't like, even now I still struggle with where people would be like, Oh my God, you built that. And I'd be like, yeah, but I didn't do this, this, this. And right. So it's like, for sure. That was a massive thing. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons I learned was like, stop it with this benchmark of I'll be happy when, right? Be happy now. Um, Learning to appreciate the moments in between, right? Like, because when you look back at like yesterday, like you've already accomplished so much. So it's like, and so stop worrying about tomorrow. So it was that lesson of 
not living my life from one happy, I'll be happy one moment to another. Like that was actually, that was killing me. And that was the, that was the reason of why I was so darn unhappy, um, with my life and, and everything around me. Yeah. And, and what I'm picking up from what you're saying is, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. There's so many ways to interpret what you just said, but we always hear about, is it the outcome that you're after or you're chasing, or is it embracing the journey mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. your case, that everyday perspective, be happy now versus I'll be happy when dot, dot, dot. And I, I think this, not, I think I know this resonates with everybody because we all have probably chased something and said, I'll be happy when, like in my case, just to use a real example earlier this calendar year, and I say this from the most humble of places, but I promise you that a prior Paul would have thought of it super different. I became a best-selling author three or four months ago. Kind of an awesome thing, right? Had I attached my happiness to that thing, getting that trophy, I'll tell you what, Sue, and I don't know if I've even shared this publicly, but I'm very comfortable doing so. I was almost surprised at how little of a boost it actually was when I became one. Like I almost wanted it to be more. And I woke up the next day, I celebrated the night of, and it wasn't an empty feeling of this is it, but it's because the newer version of me post finding my purpose and living true to my values, I am now so journey focused that for me, it was just a dot on the map and it sets up more impact for the future versus I promise you, Paul of a handful of years ago, I would have thought that was the destination that I was going for. And I would have been at the top of that mountain and I would have been so deflated on how little joy it was because I was probably focused on something external. So I, I, I don't know if that resonates, but you know, it's just a very recent example where I took it in stride, but it, it, it wasn't the easiest pill to swallow. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I, I tell a story about, you know, like the woo woo gratitude list, right? Like everyone's like, you need to write a gratitude list. And I'm like, all right, everyone's talking about this. I'll write a gratitude list. So like, <laughs> I'm one of those people, Sue, but go ahead, right, go ahead right. and insult me. Go yeah, ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's fine. But like, this is my journey with it where it was like, okay, so I'm, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my friends. I'm grateful for my health. Right. Like I wrote the list for three days, like three, four days. And I'm like, I've wrote it all out. Like I was like, I don't understand. And then it was like, all of a sudden I, when I woke up one morning, there's these birds that chirp outside my window. And I was like, oh, wait, this is what they're talking about. Like, it's the birds. It's that first sip of coffee. It's the feeling I get when, you know, you're nice to the checkout person or like when you make their day and make them smile. Like, it was these little things that it's like I was missing the point of like, it was all in front of me, all the stuff that actually were the what makes me happy. It was all these little things. It wasn't just this one big massive win or outcome. It was all the little things. And it was like that awakening. And that made me realize how much I have in my life versus all the things I thought I needed to be happy. Right. So it's like the, that was, that was massive for me. So good. So good. And it connects to something you said earlier, which was the pause. 
And it's something we've actually been hearing a lot lately, just in, in the world. And you hear things like be where your feet are and have presence. And I consider those uh, easy, say, hard do. You know, super easy to say be where your feet are. And then you get caught in this race and I'm like, okay, I kind of haven't been where my feet are for days, weeks, months, you know, like it's a vicious cycle sometimes. Let me ask you this, tactically, what perspective, because you coach others who are feeling stuck, you coach others who are not taking those pauses. So assume we're, we're your client and we're in a coaching conversation and we're sharing this with you about it's so hard to take a pause. And I know that you're probably going to ask some questions, but then you're going to get into some tactical how-to. So how, what, what should we be doing? What are the steps in order to be intentional about taking those pauses? Yeah, one of the one of the things that I have my clients do, because again, I understand about building success and there's nothing wrong with it. Like, I'm, you know, I'm driven. Um, but one of the things that I have my clients do, and this is not proper English, so forgive me, is my I've gotten done list. Um, because in the process of building and trying to achieve other things, we, like I said, with the I'll be happy when we forget all the things that we have accomplished. So sitting down and literally making a list of all the things you've done and accomplished and learned, right? The lessons learned or knowledge gained, all of that. And it's like, when you write that list and you pause and take that minute to write that, I keep that list like either on my phone or in my desk, Because whenever the self-doubt creeps in or the negative emotions or any of that stuff, I pull that list out and I'm like, holy shit, like I never thought I could do half these things. So if I was able to do that, of course I can build whatever else I want to build, right? I do have it within me. So it's like, it's almost like pausing to give yourself some credit or to have the self-compassion or the grace. Like that's a big part of being able to, you know, celebrating the small wins, right? In, in able to, to continue on the journey. That is the grind of being an entrepreneur and building and your career or your businesses. So that's definitely one thing that I always tell people to do. That is so good. And so if I could paraphrase it just to make sure that folks don't miss out on this and please plug the holes if I have any holes here, but in a world of not enough, in a world of these self-limiting beliefs and this doubt, your reframe, you spin it back to your clients in this case, and you essentially say, write down all of the things that you have done, whether they be accomplishments or things you're proud of, things that have bring you joy, things that have brought you happiness. And then you build up this long, for most people, it's going to be a very long laundry list, but it's things that are out of sight, out of mind. Because again, we're sprinting so fast. So did, did I capture that in terms of the tactical, what yeah. can we do tomorrow? A hundred percent. Like, I think that we live in a world with all, with all these thought leaders of like 10 times your life and 10 X this and that, but it's like, You've already 100X'd it. So give yourself credit first for knowing that you've done that already, right? So then you can build off that momentum. The other thing was, you know, I heard it a long time ago. And at first I thought it was morbid. And then I'm like, oh my God, this is freaking genius. And that's writing your own obituary. Yes. You know, writing. Yeah, talk to us about that. I love that practice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is like writing out, like picturing the person reading this of the, who you became, right? The legacy you want to leave and let that be your roadmap every single day of the actions you need to take for that to become, you know, your legacy. Um, you know, I, I really think about that. I used to think about it when I was an agent because I always would say, 
it's never going to say on my tombstone, Sue Izzo made her clients $100 million. That was not my legacy. It was how I made people feel, right? And so then then I had to reverse engineer that. So it's like, if that's what I want my legacy to be, then what are the actions I need to take on the daily with my clients or whomever, strangers, right, to make that happen for myself? You know, who I want to become is, is I'll always, that's, that's what I chase every day, the feeling I want to feel and how I want to leave, you know, the, the, how I want to make people feel in the process. Yeah. Yeah. And this is amazing perspective. And I want to drill in here because if we left it here, my gut tells me that people would be inspired and they would say, it sounds like a great idea, this obituary exercise, this legacy piece. Cause trust me, I coach a very similar thing. And unless I'm in front of you, like I, I, I got to hold you accountable. So now I want to pretend like this is a group coaching session with everybody listening in. So, all right. You want me to imagine how do I want to be remembered? That's the question I ask about legacy. And then you populate that answer. And then you, in your case, you drill back to the present day and say, what actions can I take in order to step in and earn that legacy that I eventually want to have? So my piece is, should they be small things? Should they be medium things? Should they be big things? Like, am I setting daily intention, monthly intention, annual goals, like micro versus macro? Talk to us about that piece, because that layer of detail will help folks actually put a pen to paper immediately after they listen to this conversation. Sure. I mean, listen, I could go in for an hours about to do lists and all that, you know, um, I believe my, my motto is, you know, baby steps to greatness, right? Like I am a baby step person all, all the way through. Like my to-do list every day, it, it's three things on a post-it note because I feel like that's, that's what I can do. Like every, otherwise everything's being pushed to the next day. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot recently about, you know, can I swear? Am I allowed to swear? Okay. Go for it. Okay. I'll just say F-bomb. So I I chase, I chase a feeling like my thing is chasing a feeling and my, the feeling I chase every day is chasing F. Yeah. Like that's what I chase because I know that feeling when I'm like F yeah, like that feeling evokes so much joy in me because I know that the moment is successful. So that's how I kind of base my to-do list. What is going to, Get me that feeling. What are the steps or the actions that bring me to the emotion that I want to feel the most of? Because that's my gauge for success now. It's not the, because I know if I were to say, I need to make X amount of dollars per month doing this many coaching clients, da, 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 da. Like, yeah, that, that works. That, that works for a lot of people, right? It's a work back schedule. I get it. Um, it's measurable. It's KPI, you know, but for me now at this stage of my life of 47, soon to be 47 is like chasing that feeling. When I chase that feeling, then I know that my clients are successful. I'm successful. There's a trickle down effect from that. That's what works yes. for me, for me personally. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I live my and life that's right great. now. Frankly, Sue, and I, th- that's why you and I are kindred spirits because I, that's probably at the level we connect. We're at the feeling level. And 
you had a chapter in your life and you've already described some of it where you weren't feeling centered. I certainly lived most of my life not feeling centered, but ever since, so finding the why was one piece, talking to my executive coach and basically realizing that I only felt alive for 10 to 20% of my day, even though I worked in a dream job, dream career, dream industry, love my organization, love my leader, love the culture. I loved everything, but I only felt alive 10 to 20% of the time. And then I made it my life mission to flip that on its head and no joke, no BS. I'm probably 80, 90 plus percent like Literally, like I fight for a hundred every single day. And I've shared this in the past, but I'll I'll share a tactical piece and then I want to kick it back to you uh, as a slight pivot. But something for all playmakers out there, if you're going to chase a feeling, as an example, I journal excitement. And so my rule is if I sit down in the morning and I look at my calendar as I'm journaling and I say, what about today excites me? If it happens on the first day I ever journal, I would leave it blank. But here's my rule. If on the second day, again, I look at my calendar and again, nothing excites me. I will not get out of my journaling chair until I put something on the calendar that does excite me. So in baseball terms, I'm batting 500 minimum on excitement. And what happens? You build habits, rituals. You get addicted to excitement. You get addicted to feeling alive. 50% becomes 60, 70, 80, 90. And you're thriving Right. Like this is this is a real way that everybody can journal. As an example, for me, it's excitement for you, Sue. It might be a different word for somebody listening. It might be a different word. But how do you want to feel and then journal it every day and don't get out of your journaling chair until you put something on the calendar that will give you that feeling? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's kind of the progress principle, right? Where it's like, yes, that's why I harp on the small wins, because it's like they compound. Like I remember, you know, I've dealt with major depression my whole life. And I remember early on, my one of my doctors said to me, the only thing I want you to do today is make your bed. And I thought it was, I'm like, I can't believe I just paid you $175 for you to tell me to make my bed. But he was genius because there was a beginning, a middle and an end. And it was a confidence builder. I did it. Right. So if I made my bed, then maybe I could go outside and I could go to the dog park. Maybe I, you know, so it's like those small tasks that we do they compound and like the feeling, like you're saying, it's like it becomes a non-negotiable. Like once you taste joy and excitement or whatever the emotion is, you're not willing to give it up again or live your life around it. You know, I have certain non-negotiables now, like me volunteering at a horse rescue every Thursday is a non-negotiable. And it's been that way for five years for me because it is brings me so much joy. I refuse to schedule anything during that time. As we take a short break from today's interview, I'd like to share a quick reminder to check out the episode show notes on playmakerspod.com, where you will find a treasure trove of key insights, thought starters, and additional resources from today's conversation. Also, a quick shout out to our show sponsor, Audible, who is offering each and every playmaker a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod.com. With that, let's get back to the conversation. It's time to level up. Let me ask you this, Sue. So you brought up right now depression mm-hmm. in private conversations, and I'm only bringing this up because I know you're comfortable with it. But I know that you have battled uh, 
issues around mental health. And I know that that is part of also your mission in terms of supporting others that are going through those extremely muddy waters. So if somebody out there, especially in today's day where, you know, it's been a rough couple of years for many folks, uh, some of it pandemic related, just the isolation, a lot of battles are being lost from the neck up, if you will. And that's really where mental health lives. And so if you could just talk to us about maybe some perspective that you have on uh, just the reality of, of not only what you've been through, but how you've been able to persevere and how you coach others through it. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been something I've lived with from a young age. And it was always one of the things that I, I why I'm so vocal about it, because like you said, so many people are living with this. And I was a super high functioning, depressed person. You know, I was able to build a multimillion dollar company while wanting to die in this process. So, I mean, picture it, I'm at X games. I'm with the you know president of ESPN and all of that, all the top sponsors, my athletes just like won a ton of gold medals and I'm having conversations, but I'm thinking, okay, if I go home to the hotel room and I kill myself tonight because I want to die so badly, how's my family going to get me back from Colorado? Like as I'm talking to them, I'm thinking that, right? Like that was my reality for a very long time. And it really, that's where I had to really understand, you know, self-love and those, the negative chatter, right? The, those absolutes we think, like if a deal didn't happen or, you know, something didn't go right in business, um, the absolute of I'm a failure and believing that and really breaking that down of like, well, is that true? Right. It's a thought. It's a feeling. But is it really true? And learning that practice of identifying my thoughts and being really challenging them and then being like, well, maybe that one thing didn't work out. But does that mean I'm a total failure and everything else? Well, no, I'm not. Right. The other thing, you know, so it's like the stories we tell ourselves or the stories that other people told us about ourselves that we held on to. Right. I was told for a long time that, you know, I was weak. I'm, a, you know, all these things by my alcoholic father. And I didn't realize that I was carrying them through adulthood and even in business. I had no, you know, I, I knew, but I didn't know. So then it was like unpacking the stories that I carried. And I'm like, well, why, why do I still believe this? It wasn't even mine. Right. So, you know, and that's, again, those pause, those pause buttons and um, really taking the time to like understand what my thoughts were, what were serving me, what were not serving me, what was true, what was not true, what was my shit, what wasn't. And, um, you know, doing the work to, you know, to work through that. And, and here's the thing. I want to be really clear. Like, I always say it's like it's like meditation, right? Like some days you're going to be like kicking mental health's butt and being like, ah, I'm all good. And then some days they creep, the thoughts creep back in. That's okay too. The bit, the, the part is that you recognize that, okay, you're here, but I have this whole toolbox to use and I'm going to pick up these tools and I'm going to fight this thought right now. I'm going to challenge it. And then I'm going to, you know, get back at it and get back on the horse and, and, you know, it'll be better tomorrow. Right? Like we're all works in progress. Not every day is going to be perfect. Not every day is going to be a wonderful gratitude day, or you're not going to get trapped by the, I'll, I'll be happy when thoughts that's, that's 
no, I'm sorry. That's not my life. That's not going to be, no, it's not, you know, don't believe Instagram, you know? So it's, it's, Oh, you mean the top 1% of people's lives? You mean that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like all the stuff above the surface. So Uh, it's like, I get it. I get it. Yeah. It's, it's just having the tools and the realization and the self-love. So let me ask you this tools. I interpret that to be a variety of things. Maybe it's a piece that I can tackle on my own. Maybe there is a mental tool. A tool could be a tactic such as, hey, speaking it out, getting it out from your mind to the ethos, to the world. Because once you hear it, you're like, oh my gosh, that's not even true. But if it stays in your head, it Fs with you to use one of your kind of PG-13 words here. Um, But I could also imagine... And correct me if I'm wrong, I could also imagine a tool being a person, meaning it takes a village. You probably, and I may be out of place, probably shouldn't be tackling all of this on your own all the time, like whether it's a group or a community around you. So in your case, you mentioned a therapist. Was there anybody else outside of that, like a mentor, a coach, or somebody that really helped you to uh, just battle through these things that... Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's just super challenging. Yeah, you're right. It is a village and a toolbox is filled with all different types of tools, right? Like you're right. Like there was always the, there was a therapist, but I found help in, in inspirational quotes in networking groups. I belong to friends, family members, strangers. The other thing too, is that, you know, some tools work for a certain period in your life and some work for other periods, right? So it's not like they all work all the time at every stage. Um, it's amazing though. I think the big thing is the openness and the willingness to just try something on for size to see if it fits. You know, that was one of the biggest lessons I learned in cancer and I needed to learn it and only cancer was able to give it to me was the fact that I was so fiercely independent and I had this chip on my shoulder if I was going to do it all on my own and prove everybody wrong in life. And cancer made me really drop to my knees and be like, I need help. Same with depression, you know? Um, and that was, it's amazing. It's, it's, I just love that society as the tides are turning. It is such a strength. I mean, look at Naomi Osaka right now. Talk about a timely piece. Yes. Like I could not have championed that moment anymore because watching a professional athlete at a major event being like, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah, literally gotta, one of the best tennis players in the world. Yes. And, and yes. going through this in the thick of it. Yes. If that moment didn't happen, she wouldn't have. I mean, I don't wish mental illness or a strain on anybody, but the fact of her bravery and all the support that came behind her the legions of people she is going to be able to help. Right. But it's like that moment of saying, I need help. I can't do this. I got to put my health first. And I think that is kind of where it starts. And like I said, the, the beautiful thing of shifting the tide that, you know, saying I need help isn't a weakness. It is actually one of the biggest strengths and it's like a power move now. And I love that that's being celebrated. And to those people who don't celebrate it and, you know, are fearful of that, those aren't your people. So be, be done with them. That's the other thing. Like, all right, thanks. Next. Like, let me go to my tribe that has my back. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's the whole philosophy of surrounding yourself with people that are going to, we always say that when somebody walks in the room, they impact the temperature of the room. And I mean that metaphorically. When Sue walks in the room, she warms it up or she cools it off based on her energy, her aura, right? And, and every single one of us, same thing. And so that's metaphorically, think about who you're surrounding yourself with and ask yourself, are they warming your life up or cooling it down? And especially, I would say you should always be around people that warm you up, but especially if you're in a tough spot, like a hundred X, you need people that are going to warm your life up. And that doesn't just mean blind positivity. It means real. It means authentic. It means they're going to challenge you, but in ways that boost you, people that believe in you and people that are about growth. And that's where I want to bring us next. You are massive on growth mindset. It's a very common thing that we talk about in business in leadership and personal development. How has a growth mindset? And as I do my homework on you, it talks about when you face challenges and when you problem solve, that's where growth mindset shows up. So for everybody listening in, what's your take on a growth mindset and how has it impacted your life? Sure, sure. Well, first and foremost, every playmaker should read the book um, by Carol Dweck, um, growth mindset, because that's where it all starts. She's the phenomenal. The, yeah, she's the guru on it. You know, for me, I really found all my pain was coming from having a fixed mindset of uh, the need to be right. Or, you know, like just so many things where like, I saw my reactions to things were anger, you know, or just an unwillingness to change and grow or being so frustrated by a roadblock or a problem. And I realized that freedom came in a growth mindset and that's where joy comes from too. And so that was kind of like, you know, really flipping the script on this because this was really interesting and that when things went wrong, instead of doing the stacking of this doesn't work out for me, I'm a failure, da, 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 because that's what happens, right? Like one thing goes wrong and then you take all the things that went wrong in your life and you bury yourself with it. Instead of doing that, when something went wrong, it was like, okay, so what's the opportunity to grow in this or to learn from this? Or where's the lesson in this? And then it became like, wow, life's a Rubik's cube that I kind of get to try to play with and figure out and problem solve. And that became the challenge that made the challenges, you know, making me look at them as opportunities and opportunity to grow. So that was massive right there. The other thing is that when you have a growth mindset, you give yourself permission to be in a growth state and be malleable where it's like, Okay, so how can I get better from this? I mean, all the greats that we look at, the Kobe's, the Michael Jordan's, these are all the guys that went up in sport and they're just like they're study, they're freaks when it comes to studying. How do they're I obsessed. get better? They're obsessed yes. with growth. Obsessed. Right. And it's they are not, never finished products. Correct. It's not I was born with one set of skills and that's as I'm great because I was born this way. It's I'm going to become great and I'm going to figure out how to be great every which way possible. And I'm going to turn over every rock to figure out if there's greatness underneath it that I need to learn. So, yeah, you know, and I think the other thing is the power in the word yet of it's like I'm not there yet. I haven't become the greatest yet. When you, we put yet at the end of a sentence, like without yet, there's a lot of like, there can be a lot of negativity in the, it, you can end the sentence too soon. When you tack on yet, it opens up, like I said, opportunity, possibility, hope, something still yet to do and create for ourselves. And, you know, I think it's just very positive. 
Yeah, that's so good. And yeah, what I was thinking too, when you were rattling off those athletes and, you know, when I was at the Niners, Coach Harbaugh, a lot of people have their opinions about him as a coach, but there is one thing I do remember from a positive perspective that has inspired me to this day. Well, two things. One, he has an awesome quote about attack each day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. So that, that's like just one of those, oh my gosh, put that up on your wall and like freaking run through it and like over and over, right? But the one thing that he said about growth, which I love this is every day you get better or you get worse, you never stay the same. Yep. And what he means by that, because somebody listening might be, and I used to think maybe, well, no, technically if I don't get better, I'm not necessarily getting worse, I'm just staying the same. Well, no, because everybody around you that's hungry, that's fighting, that's scrapping to have that inner success and significance and purpose and impact and legacy and all that. I promise you, they're going to run laps around you if you never do anything different to grow. Promise you that, right? So technically you're getting worse relative to the pack. All right. So we're going to lighten it up a little bit on the home stretch here. You ready? Uh, a couple yeah, fun ones for you. Okay, cool. All right. So proud Italian woman. So we got you yes. here. We're going to film a movie about your life. Okay. Who would play you and why? <sighs> Oh my goodness. I can't believe you're asking me this question. I don't think I've ever even thought of the answer to this. That's who the would, point. <laughs> who would play me and why? Um, uh, you know, who just popped into my head and I think I have to say yeah. it just because she is Italian too. Um, I'm going to go with Lady Gaga. Yes. I'm going to go with cool. Lady Gaga. And why? So why Lady Gaga? You know, I just really love her story. I mean, because so many people didn't believe in her, um, you know, and she really was this underdog and had a vision of something that people didn't see in her. And my journey was definitely the same with building a lot of stuff. People didn't see it, you know, but I, I believed in it. So um, definitely, I think uh, I think I'm going to go with Lady Gaga. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Cup of coffee with one person, dead or alive, all good. Who would it be? And what is one thing that you would want to learn from them? Oh, gosh. Oh, this is a tough one. Dead or alive. This this is a really tough one. Um, the one person I think I'm going to choose is Maya Angelou, Dr. Maya Angelou. I Every time I read something by her or just study her, I'm just like, I, I just can't even understand it. I can't even fathom like how you could be so beautiful and eloquent in, in, in writing such powerful prose and like representing the issues of the day that she was living in, um, in a way that just transcends time. And she just had a wisdom about her that I think I would probably just melt just to be in her presence. Um, so, and, and I think, I think the question for her is the strength, right? to because all the adversity like the strength to how she persevered so it would definitely be in and around that i mean obviously like oprah and jerry garcia and biggie are a couple other ones that i'd want to talk to <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah what, what, just curious because I, I i'm a fan and i love me some hip-hop so biggie what, what what's one thing that you would want to ask biggie oh not to get in that car in vegas um no i think uh yeah, I, you know, Biggie's kind of along the lines of Maya Angelou. Like, I mean, when you listen to him 
rapping. I mean, his storytelling. I think those are the beautiful things of them. They, they were really just talking about what was happening in their lives in that moment. Um, and I think that Chris, Christopher Wallace had so much left to do. Same with Tupac, not into Turf Wars here. It's just they were they were they it was um, talent cut short for certain. Yeah. yeah, well said and couldn't agree more. All right, grand finale here, Sue. So you are in a scenario where everything that is meaningful and that matters to you, you're taking care of. Like family's in a great spot financially. You are set. It is not a stress. It is not a worry. You literally can look at the future of your life and dedicate yourself toward one thing that you want to work toward. So if everything in your life is taken care of, what would you like to spend the rest of your life working toward? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing, there's two things, but the, the biggest thing is in my goal in every day is, you know, to help people, um, this sounds not make life less hard, but like to share the lessons, right. To make life a little easier for people. Um, so education and writing and speaking is so important to me. Um, in terms of just being able to share messages so people suffer just a little bit less in life. Um, that would be, I would dedicate every single day to helping young people, old people, everybody in between, um, just make it that much easier for them. And then on top of that, to add to that, I would save every horse and dog in the world on, as well. Very cool. All right, from one dog person to another, and, uh, there's probably <laughs> many out there. Couldn't have put it any better myself. And you talked about lessening suffering. And we could also say that's a way of helping people thrive, even if yes. it's a small little step or it's a massive leap, whatever thriving means, you have empowered every single playmaker out there to thrive and level up across all areas of life from the bottom of our hearts to Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your insight, your motivation, your inspiration, and the list could keep going. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we can't wait to follow you going forward. Thank you so much for having me. Such an honor. Of course. And last piece, Sue, where can we find you? Where can we follow you? How can we connect? Sure, sure. absolutely. You can find me on every single platform at, at Sue Izzo um, and at sueizzo.com. Loved what you just heard? Share it with another playmaker. And if you gain significant value from today's episode and genuinely feel that you have leveled up, would so appreciate if you gave us a five-star rating. For all of today's show notes, head over to playmakerspod.com where you can not only enjoy additional resources from this show, but all previous episodes as well. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you tune in from. And on a personal note, I'd love to connect one-to-one. Hit me up anytime on LinkedIn at Paul Epstein or Instagram at Paul Epstein Speaks. Playmakers is produced by Detroit Podcast Studios in collaboration with Purpose Labs. Wishing you a high-impact week of action and purpose. See you next time on Playmakers.